Greetings, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. Nancy Pelosi yesterday received communion at the Vatican, despite earlier U.S. bishop refusal. This, of course, from Archbishop of San Francisco, Salvatore Cordelione. Parish Orphans and Retrogrades, what's going on? Pope Francis, on June the 29th, that's yesterday, the same day that he circulated a new apostolic letter on the liturgy, on needing to take the liturgy seriously, he allows, according to the Washington Post article that I'm reading, Nancy Pelosi to receive communion, even though it violates a sovereign order by her own archbishop. She's banned from the Eucharist in the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and she's ordered not to receive it generally. And Pope Francis, on June the 29th, circulates a letter saying, let's take the liturgy more seriously. I'll give you a couple interpretations on that, one of which is uh, uh, Ed Pentance. And at the same time, out the other side of his mouth, he does something to obliterate the ability of a reasonable human being to take seriously the liturgy, the source and summit of the liturgy. God bless you all. We are now six days outside of the overturning of Roe versus Wade with my own new states, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health. Good work by the pro-life movement. I've been critical of you guys. I'm part of it. I say we need to call it the anti-abortion movement. I think that's truer than ever, but good work. God bless us all. All of the various pro-life and anti-abortion companies are great, and we should all be still six days out patting ourselves on the back. This includes Real Estate for Life, who you hear me plug here. Get the heck out of your blue state, get to a red state, especially the blood-red swath of red states from Texas to Florida. Get to the state where it all started, uh, Mississippi, if you, if you want. I'd love more Catholics here. Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health started here. Go to realestateforlife.org today and move before the midterm elections. Realestateforlife.org, a good pro-life Christian, probably a Catholic, will help you get that done. Also, before we get into my analysis on the unique configuration of facts from June 29, yesterday, Pelosi receiving communion at the Vatican, I, I do have a unique take on this. I'm about to begin in one second. But before we do so, we need subscribership. So subscribe to this channel. If you're a person that checks us out once every week or two weeks, subscribe. Click the notification bell and like this video. Leave a comment. I have some analysis today that will be sure to leave your mouth agape. So comment on it. Let me know what you think. Is it crazy? Here is the way I would open. Here's the opening salvo. June the 29th, 1963. According to Malachi Martin, the date celebrating St. Peter and Paul is an important date if what Malachi Martin reports as true is true. Some of you who have read Windswept House, June the 29th, yesterday was the anniversary, are shaking your heads. Everyone else is scratching their heads. Aside from being the uh, feast of Saints Peter and Paul, it is the date, according to one Malachi Martin, of an enthronement of Satan 
that allegedly occurred inside the Vatican and in a Southern American state simultaneously on June the 29th, probably intentionally on the feast of Saints Peter and Paul, 1963. Meaning that yesterday's desecration of the Eucharist by Nancy Pelosi happened on the 59th anniversary of the desecration of the Eucharist along with ritual rape that allegedly, I say allegedly, happened according to one Malachi Martin inside the Vatican and in the United States. Now, here's another anniversary from, from, uh, from yesterday. And this, you won't believe this, Yesterday was, as Nancy Pelosi was desecrating the Eucharist with her foul tongue, her befouling tongue, it was the 50th anniversary also to the day of Pope Paul VI's Smoke of Satan speech. The smoke of Satan has entered the sanctuary, or the church in other translations, through some mysterious, no not mysterious, he says, fissure in the church of God. Fifty years ago, to the day, as Nancy Pelosi, like some small portion of the smoke of Satan, entered the church befouling it. And it was the 50-year anniversary of Paul VI's, in many ways, audacious speech. He is the agent of some of that smoke of Satan, no small amount of it, entering the church. But now, so I've told you that yesterday marks three occasions through the years. 59 years ago, on June the 29th, was allegedly, according to Malachi Martin, the day where Satan was enthroned in the Vatican. I'm not saying I'm 100% certain this is correct. I tell you when I'm sure about something. I tell you when I'm pretty sure about something. Other times I tell you, look, this is a bit speculative. Three, four years ago, I didn't trust Malachi Martin. Having read his book and having had some of the events of the last few years vindicate his claims, I'm now much closer to trusting Malachi Martin. I don't know where I am. But according to him, this enthronement of Satan using a ritual rape victim called Agnes in the book. By the way, there's a woman who turned up three years ago and claimed that she was Agnes and that this was all real. That's one of the several things that I think have lented, lent credibility to Martin's claims about what happened 59 years before Nancy Pelosi befouled the Eucharist with her own foul tongue yesterday. What was the point of that enthronement of Satan, according to Martin, who is the the ideas reporter? Well, that's as interesting. According to the faction, fact fiction, in Windswept House, the events of June 29, 1963, took place, allegedly, at the behest of the agency of the devil and his minions here on earth, many of whom, according to Martin, were high in church ranks in the Curia, in the Vatican. And what they were trying to do, again, allegedly, was to bring about something called the capital A, capital T, availing time. Now, again, this is still 
Segundo Martin, the availing time was roughly 40 years from about that date in 1960, uh, 1963 to roughly the millennium, a time of availing for what Martin calls the process. And it's, it includes liturgy. It includes moral theology. It includes interpretation of biblical theology and fundamental theology. The process is a process whereby the Catholicity of the Catholic Church, the, ju- the global jurisdiction of the Catholic Church, is supposed to undo itself and to join forces with the globalists, the Masons, the secular humanists, the one world order people. They're all, that's all four names for the same group. And the availing time, what it was most supposed to do, this is all according to Martin. This, I'm not making this up and I'm not saying I believe it 100%. I'm saying it has some heightened credibility in the world events of late. Was to make the Catholic faithful sort of lay down their arms, particularly the priests, and particularly the bishops, and particularly the lay people that otherwise would have, I don't know, revolted? Think about what was happening starting in 1963. You get Sacrosanctum Concilium, and over the course of the next six and a half years, the undoing of our Holy Mass and the redoing of it in really blasphemous ways is why we're going to talk about Francis, who who also laid out this apostolic letter yesterday on all of these anniversaries, which, which is um, interesting. The new apostolic letter is called Desiderio Desideravi. So I've always said, look, you guys know this. I, I don't attend SSPX chapels, but I, I don't, I, I can't blame those people, especially the older ones that were actually alive and, uh, I don't know, smart enough, old enough, mature enough, responsible enough, lucid enough to understand what was happening at the council. I don't blame them for being angrier than those of us who were born after the council and were raised with the Missal of Paul VI, the Novus Ordo. I don't blame them. It would be harder for me, given my temperament, to not join them at their SSPX chapels on Sundays if I've been alive. I'm just being honest, okay? I I think it's a grace, given my temperament, that I was born in the 80s uh, and didn't, you know, and not tempted, therefore, to join. But the point is I don't blame them. I sincerely do not. Because they watched all that unfold and, you know, they actually experienced change agency. They actually experienced the ramifications of change. But think about this. The availing time, something went off in my mind as I was reading Windswept House. We, we have our last reading group tomorrow, and also tomorrow, by the way, our first real reading group of Father Elijah. Windswept House was on, quite frankly's channel, my buddy, and Father Elijah is for patrons only. So also become a patron of Timothy J. Gordon if you want to join that reading group. Just make sure you get the first four chapters read by tomorrow's group. There's no quiz. There's no test. If you're a little behind, fine. That's another thing worth doing. Reading group, Father Elijah, the only book that's better 
or more prophetic, I think, than Windswept House. They're written in 96 and 97, and they have similar themes, very different writing style. The only book whose writing style I enjoy more about the church, about the late JP2 pontificate, same exact themes about Luciferians within JP2's Vatican, then Windswept House is Father Elijah. Go to Patreon today and become a patron. So the availing time, essentially to me, something went off as I read Windswept House. I thought this is the only thing that could actually explain, account for the fact that more people just didn't revolt. That more of these people that are 20 years older than me, 20, 25 years older, didn't just leave the church out of disgust. Now, I know a lot did, but I mean more. After what they were doing, ripping the marble out of churches, ripping the pews out, ripping the beautiful altars out, the destruction of God's church, and building these heinous structures that I was raised with. I always hated them, and I just thought, oh, I'm probably an atheist. I don't believe in any of these hokey, built-in-the-round, hooray for everything, go make a difference, hymn-singing, goofball, Susan from the Parish Council, quasi-Catholic churches. It's like a different religion. It's not a different religion. I correct people online who say it is, but it's like a different religion. That is fair enough. Well, the availing time is the only theory, and it is a theory, that I've ever heard floated that accounts for that. How the hell else did this happen? Over 40 to 50 years, everything was destroyed, and most people didn't leave the church, and most people didn't put up too much of a fuss. How would that have happened in front of their very eyes, people that were alive during the 60s. The availing time also says, and this is important, it also says that no pope during those 40 or so years, from about 1963 to about 2003, could actually govern the church. What do you think of that? Have I ever told you this stuff, Steph? That no one could govern, no pope could actually govern the church? That they were essentially... impotent Chamberlain kings, kings that were basically like Chamberlains to their Chamberlains. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't that help to solve the enigma of JP2? Everyone says, and this is Malachi Martin's view too, who's very trad by the time he writes Windswept House. Look, he loves Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, but he does goofy, awful things. He makes goofy, awful appointments. He kisses the Quran. He circulates ecumenist documents, but then he also defends against the communists, and he defends life, and he defended against Cardinal Casper, giving communion to the divorced and civilly remarried quite robustly. How do you explain this? How do you account for it? He's a unique pope. Whatever you think of JP2, he's a unique pope, and Malachi Martin has his protagonist, Father Christian, struggle with this. How in the hell do you interpret JP2, who's now a saint? How do you interpret him? He's weird. On the one hand, he seems to really love the church and Jesus. On the other hand, he's kind of a modernist who called Vatican Council II um, second birthday of the church, a second Pentecost. And he appointed a bunch of modernists. How do you make of that? It's because, as Malachi Martin has JP2 say in Windswept House, you think I can govern the church? I can't. So the availing time is an interesting theory. Okay? And... My ears pricked up and the hair on the back of my neck stood up last Friday when I was, try- I was trying to tell Frank and his audience, who is, uh, his audience isn't mostly Catholic, uh, 
about Paul VI, who, as the character in the book, knows about the enthronement of Satan on June 29th, 1963. I was trying to tell him, oh, look at how similar this is to something that he said nine years later in 1972. So I looked it up and I read him the Smoke of Satan speech and my mouth dropped wide open. I said, June 29th. Paul VI made this speech on June the 29th. Some people say November, but it's, it's allegedly June the 29th. He made it on the, it would have been more significant if it was the 10-year anniversary, but it was the 9-year anniversary. And he's saying precisely what happened. The smoke of Satan entered the church by some mysterious fissure. Nope, never mind, it's not mysterious. That's in the dense quote. He's saying, I know what it is. Malachi Martin, who was friends with Pope John the 23rd and had friends that were higher ups, probably knew Paul VI quite well as well, claims that he knew about the enthronement and the availing time. It explains something that can't, in my view, otherwise be explained, the standing down of the faithful during the 60s, 70s, 80s. It also has some interesting dates that line up interestingly. I was literally thematically selecting, oh, I want to read, I want to read at our little reading group, the Smoke of Satan speech, because I think it's so similar to the availing time and the enthronement of Satan, and it's Paul VI centered. So I go, I, I'm, I, we're on the air, I look it up, and my mouth drops wide open, and I say, not only is it thematically connected, but it's connected by calendar as well. That is interesting. June 29th, June 29th. And then yesterday, on June the 29th, I was going to do a show, but I thought, let me see what develops. On June the 29th, we have this other desecration of the Holy Eucharist. I mean, what else do you need me to say about it? I'll read you some of the Washington Compost article that talks about it. But they get it. They are the anti-Catholic, secular humanist, radical luciferian left whatever you want to call them and they get it listen to their characterizations of the event everyone else always says oh the left and the the left who runs the church deep state deep church they play by their own rules they're hypocrites blah blah blah. i know that's dumb famous words on the headstone of every conservative right is oh i thought i thought the left was supposed to be tolerant and open that's one joke yeah we get it they're not tolerant and open don't say that and the other head marker of wimpy conservatives is, oh, they don't play by their own rules. Well, we know that. So I'm not going to talk much about this, but let me read Washington Post. This, this says it more than any analysis. You already know what I'm going to say about this. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, a Catholic and a vocal supporter of abortion rights, received Holy Communion on Wednesday during a papal mass in St. Peter's Basilica, according to an attendee of the mass. The ceremony at the Vatican stood in marked contrast to the decision by conservative San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore J. Cordelione to instruct priests in his diocese to withhold the Eucharist from Pelosi because of her stance on abortion. Now, he also told her not to present herself to abortion, and that is not geography specific. Don't present yourself for communion anywhere. The Pope is a brother bishop. He's, he's first in charge, but he's a brother bishop of Rome to the archbishops around the world. He should be backing the plays of these guys, not to mention, you know the deal, it's in canon law that a bishop is supposed to decommunionize a politician who particularly, given what happened six days ago, 
who particularly given the events of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health and the backlash from the crazy liberal lunatics on the left who are destroying everything out of rage, particularly given all that, what Pope Francis did is extra ignoble, extra egregious. In September, Pope Francis had said, I have never refused the Eucharist to anyone, which is crazy. What about public adulterers, public fornicators? Although he later added that he had never knowingly encountered during communion a politician backing abortion rights and reiterated the church position that abortion is murder. But Pope Francis had said that the decision on granting communion to politicians who support abortion rights should be made from a pastoral point of view, not a political one. Now, the funny thing is, Cordelione said this specifically. I, this action is a pastoral decision, not a political one. Well, it's both. Everyone plays games. Something can be pastoral and political. They are not mutually exclusive categories of being to do, to commit a pastoral act or a political act. Most pastoral acts are political in the sense that they involve people, the polis, political. The communion for Pelosi comes shortly after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the 73 Road versus Wade decision. This was five days later. Erasing the so-called right to abortion. In a statement on the decision, the Vatican's Pontifical Academy for Life called for a non-ideological debate. Now, I didn't cover this because we're doing every other thing related to it, but that's really strange that uh, earlier in the week, the Pontifical Academy for Life had said that this should be a non-ideological debate. I don't even know what that means. What about the ideology of Thomism? What about the ideology of anti-abortion? It's inherently ideological. This is as silly a distinction as pastoral, but not political. Here are the words of the Pontifical Academy for Life. In the face of Western society that is losing its passion for life, this act is a powerful invitation to reflect together on serious and urgent issue of human generativity. Not human life, but human generativity. That means the sex part. And the conditions that make it possible, that means the foreplay in the sex part. They're talking about sex. Everything in the Francis pontificate is about sex. It's like the Freudian interpretation of a pontificate. Uh, this is what Vin Vincenzo Paglia said. During the Mass at the Vatican on Wednesday, it wasn't the 85-year-old Francis who personally handed Pelosi the holy wafer, the, the Washington Post calls holy it. Holy wafer? What the... These are, these are goons. The body of Christ. An intelligent human person wrote holy wafer? Yeah. Holy wafer. It's the body of Christ. Look, I know... It's called the Holy Eucharist. The Holy Eucharist. Well, it's called the Holy Eucharist even if you're not a cat. Look, even... I don't know who this is. Let's assume that a secular person or a Jew or someone like this wrote this article. Okay? That's my guess. It's called the Holy Eucharist. Dick. You know? Don't call it the Holy Wafer. I'm serious. I'll call your stuff, you know, whatever, whatever your secular analog is or your, your, your religion, whatever your religion is, I'll call it by its proper name. It's the Holy Eucharist. Don't call it the Holy Wafer. That offends folks. That's, that is our body, blood, soul, divinity of our, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His active participation in masses is increasingly constrained by a knee condition that often requires him to use a wheelchair before the mass. Pelosi 
had a greeting with the Pope where she received a blessing according to an attendee. The Vatican, remember, we're going to talk last about the also June 29th document circulated by Pope Francis, the apostolic letter, which says we should take the Mass and its forms more seriously as he's desecrating the Holy Wafer, the Eucharist, by giving it to this she-devil. This insane, smiling, Jack Nicholson joker she-devil. Uh, so it didn't provide any statement on the matter. It declined to comment. But in a city-state such as the Vatican, steeped in religious symbolism and the center for the world's 1.3 billion Catholics, Pelosi's communion can hardly be considered an oversight. It took place on the day that Francis issued an apostolic letter extolling the virtues of Mass. Oh, so even the secular person or the non-practicing Christian or the Jew, whoever wrote this, gets it, right? Extolling the virtues of Mass, reminding his church of how such celebration belongs to the totality of the faithful united in Christ. The liturgy does not say I, but we, Francis wrote in his letter. And any limitation on the breadth of this we is always demonic. What is he talking about? In October, Francis met with Pelosi during a private audience at the Vatican, which the speaker later described as a spiritual, personal, and official honor. It remains to be seen whether the communion given to Pelosi may have any effect on Cordelione's decision, which was shared by at least four other U.S.-based dioceses. What do you mean? Is this like he's going to undo it? No. Corleone's order to deny Pelosi applies only to churches in his diocese where Pelosi resides. Now, that's, that's actually canonically a, a closer call than you're thinking. His ban on her communion reception in his archdiocese, of course, only applies in the jurisdiction. But he also gave her, Washington Post article writer, he also gave her an Episcopal order, which is to not present herself for communion Period. That means anywhere. That means anywhere. So again, it's not called the Holy Wafer. And an Episcopal ban is different from an Episcopal mandatum. She received both a ban and a mandatum. One is jurisdiction specific. The other one's not. Using plain textual analysis. Pelosi has pushed back on Cordelione's order questioning whether he was applying a double standard by allowing politicians who support the death penalty, which the Catholic Church opposes, to receive the sacrament. Hmm. Massimo Fagioli, a professor of theology at Villanova University, uh, said that what happened Wednesday strengthens the impression that there are two approaches to abortion within the Catholic Church, an issue that is even more delicate after the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe versus Wade. It's unclear It's unclear whether the Vatican clearly intended for Pelosi to receive the Eucharist, but Vatican authorities would have surely been aware of her presence and plans to attend Mass at St. Peter's, Fagioli said. This was no surprise. Of course, on these matters, the Vatican can and should leave some things unsaid, Fagioli said. The fact that it wasn't the Pope who gave her the communion allows the Vatican to preserve a modicum of deniability. It isn't within the best interests to blatantly put a finger in the eye of Cordelione. End quote. 
But the overturning of Roe versus Wade will make it harder for the Vatican to energetically defend Pelosi, President Biden, and other Catholics who support abortion quote-unquote rights. Sick. Quote-unquote rights. They're not rights. As long as Roe versus Wade was the law, one could say, these people are Catholic but must still respect the law, Fagioli said. But Fagioli doesn't believe Francis, who has called on the church to be more inclusive, will allow himself to be painted into a corner. Abortion has become one of the sectarian parameters Catholic conservatives in the United States use to decide whether you're Catholic, Fagioli said. That idea, he said, does not belong to Pope Francis, who never changed the church teaching on abortion, but has always maintained that a church is not a country club. I don't even know what he's talking about. These crazy left-caths are some of the craziest in the world. Uh, This is one of the key points of this papacy. This is one of the things on which he and U.S. bishops do not see things eye to eye about, Fagioli said. Is that just the end of the article? That's a horrible ending. You need a conclusion to your article, Mr. Uh, Is that by Stefano Petrelli? Is he uh, some sort of left cat? I I was assuming, yeah, it's Stefano Petrelli and Amy Wang. Stefano Petrelli and Amy Wang. So maybe, um, I don't know. I don't don't know what religion they are. I was taking a guess when I was reading. I like to try to guess the religion of the person writing. Usually, usually you can guess on Washington Post or New York Times or whatever, but I can't guess. Um, Anyway. So there you have it. Now let's go, let's read something by a sane person. And let's look at what also took place on this strange anniversary, assuming that it's, that it's real. Uh, Pope Francis's new letter addresses liturgical formation and the beauty of the Mass's National Catholic Register, article written by Edward Penton. Desiderio Desideravi follows up on his 2021 document, which was circulated July the 16th of last summer. Traditionis Custodis, where he thumbed in the eye of us Latin mass-loving Catholics. He thumbed in our eye because he said, we're the guardians of tradition. There's a, a middle finger in a major way. And then he, he basically all but moved to take away most of the remaining TLMs across the arid desert dreamscape that we call Christendom following upon the Second Vatican Council. Desiderio Desideravi follows up on his 2021 document, Traditionis Custodis. I like Edward Penton a lot. Pope Francis has published a meditation on liturgical formation in which he urges an end to polemics in the liturgy. What? This is like Hitler and uh, ordering an end to polemic on Jewish people or something like that. It's like you're the you're the chieftain in this program of polemics. Uh, polemics in the liturgy, a rediscovery of its beauty, and reasserts his emphasis on unity around the one Roman rite that emerged after the Second Vatican Council. Okay, right away, if these are his three chief emphases, Francis, you get. You get the rhetorical game he's after. He's like, look, let's not be polemicists. Let's just obliterate all of the vehicles for lack of unity within the church, liturgically speaking. What is that? that that's more polemics. That's blaming the TLM near millennial uh, liturgy in the church that was gutted 
five years after Vatican II, that's blaming it, and that's doubling down on polemics. Entitled Desiderio Desideravi, and published on the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, the Vatican said the 65-paragraph apostolic letter reworks the results of a 2019 plenary meeting of the Dicastery of Divine Worship. Is that still after Cardinal Sarah had been removed? I think it was just after it. And it follows the Pope's 2021 Motu Proprio Traditionis Custodes, which restricted the Mass according to the pre-1962 Roman Missal, in an effort to foster ecclesial communion around the post-Vatican II liturgical rite. The Pope's new document, the Vatican said, is a meditation on understanding the beauty of liturgical celebration and its role in evangelization. A meditation on understanding the beauty of liturgical celebration and its role in evangelization. A meditation on understanding the beauty of liturgical celebration and its role in evangelization. Remember the new evangelization of John Paul II? I I wasn't a big fan of calling it new evangelization. I don't really like the word new applied to any of the creatures or the, I don't know, what's, what's the word? The phantasmagoria of Christendom. I don't like the word new, but let's take... John Paul II, who's a complex character and not, not all bad by any means. Let's take him at his word. The new evangelization is re-evangelizing the all-but-apostatized Catholic faithful. So let's apply that to this quotation that I just pulled and that Penton in NCR just pulled from uh, the DD document of yesterday, June the 29th, 2022. It's a meditation on understanding the beauty of liturgical celebration and its role in evangelization. So it's a meditation on how the liturgy is evangelical. Let's apply the new evangelization to this. And grant, grant JP2's druthers for, for a moment. Arguendo. You see where I'm going with this. The number one way to evangelize the all-but-apostatized faithful Catholic, the unfaithful Catholic, in other words, with the Mass is via the Eucharist. Namely, broadly speaking, specifically speaking, the number one way to do this is to show them the many, many, many times whereupon it is not appropriate to receive. It is would be outright morally sinful to receive the Eucharist. So I'll tell you a story. When I was, by, by way of exercising the point, when I was a teacher at a large, largely faithless um, Catholic diocesan school, I said largely, and this is just my opinion, most people would agree with me, when we would have celebrate Mass together with the largely liberal faculty, I would, many of whom went to the school as teenagers, and now it's 20 or 30 years later, and they just had the the coloring book religion classes, the liberal post-conciliar nonsense, uh, festooned all around like any big Catholic education mill. They would get up and just like slobs receive the Eucharist, even though they're all whatever shouldn't be receiving the Eucharist. I won't, I won't list particular sins, but these are non-believers, people that I'd seen mortal sin earlier in the day, and they all, every school mass. 
I would one. I don't. I don't receive at the Novus Ordo um, for dispositional reasons. But but two, even if I did receive at the Novus Ordo at some point, I would not do it there because I wanted them to see me on my knees in the pews as everyone else goes up, and they're like, "Well, Gordon's a holy roller. He's like really actually Catholic. Why why is he not getting up? Because." I like meditations on understanding the beauty of liturgical celebration and its role in evangelization. I was trying to evangelize, baby. The Eucharist is the body and blood of Jesus, and it's real. And in order to mix Jesus' body and blood with my body and blood via metabolic consumption, I have to be in a state of sanctifying grace. I can have any number of venial sins on my soul, but I can't have a mortal sin on my soul. And for them to ever see me not going when they thought holy rollers like to go more, I'm like, no, you don't need to. You go to Mass on Sunday to satisfy the obligation. You want to get the Eucharist. But if you can't get it, you don't need to get it once a week. You're canonically required to get it once a year. Early Christians didn't get it often. So I would use it evangelically. And Pope Francis, according to, uh, to make the point a little stronger, according to Penton, concludes his meditation on liturgical evangelization by, quote, making an appeal to, quote, abandon controversy in order to listen together to what the Spirit is saying to the church. What Spirit? What is the sixth sense? Are you talking about the Holy Spirit? As well as to guard communion and to continue to be amazed by the beauty of the liturgy. I don't care if you're amazed by the beauty of the liturgy or not. I say this to trads. I say this to Protestants. I say this to charismatic. I don't care. Save it. Save it. Whether you're amazed by the beauty of the liturgy. Revere Christ in the Eucharist. Right? The liturgy's not there to entertain you. On a Sunday, if you're at Disney World, get up, go to Mass to, to, to receive the Eucharist, to worship the Eucharist, and to do your duty. Because it's one of the five precepts of the Church, go to Mass on Sunday. And then you go to be entertained by the people you pay to entertain you. Some 25-year-old aspiring actor in a goofy outfit. That, that's who you pay. You don't go to Mass, whether you're a trad. I hear trads talk this way. I hear charismatics talk this way endlessly. I hear Novus Ordo people sort of talk this way about the gay hymns. And I hear Protestants sermonize endlessly about this. I hear everybody make the same mistake. They think that they're going to be amazed by the beauty of the liturgy. I don't give a damn whether you're amazed by the beauty of the liturgy, go there and worship the Eucharist. That's what Mass is for. In community, you worship the Eucharist, you receive the Eucharist if you can, and you satisfy the fifth precept of the church out of five. That's what it's there for. You do your duty. It's not there to entertain you. Which is why if I can't get to a TLM, I go to a Novus Ordo. Okay, so you get the point. But but um, it's it's... There are so many ironies within an irony loaded into yesterday, June the 29th, A.D. 2022. So much water under the bridge of Christendom now that in the year of our Lord, A.D. 2022, I just, I man, I have a lot of thoughts. But on June 29th, it's the 59th anniversary of a so-called enthronement of Satan that brought about a so-called availing time that lasted till about the millennium, allegedly. And it's the 50th anniversary to the day of 
Paul VI Smoke of Satan speech. So June 29th looms large. And then all of a sudden it's going to be the anniversary of Nancy Pelosi in a post-Roe world first receiving and desecrating thereby the Eucharist in the Vatican with tacit permission going all the way to the top of the flagpole. And it's the promulgation of a new letter in honor of the Feast of Peter and Paul. And this new letter contradicts so many of the ideas. Dedicto. The release of the document, unusually without an accompanying press conference, was overshadowed by news that House, the, the article I just covered, that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi had received Holy Communion at a Mass in St. Peter's Basilica on the same day, the Feast of Peter and Paul, in the presence of Francis. Okay. Desiderio Desideravi, circulated yesterday, bears a missionary option in which Pope Francis begins by stressing that no one earned a place at the Last Supper. All had been invited. And the same applies to the world, even though it still does not know it. This is why the Pope says he said he dreamed of a missionary option in his apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium. Now, what is a missionary option? He explains the nature, salvific power, and beauty of the Mass, that the liturgy, more than a vague memory of the Last Supper, is the place of encounter with Christ, and that there is only one act of worship, perfect and pleasing to the Father, namely the obedience of the Son, the measure of which is the death on the cross. See, I don't get any of that. And I know you don't either, and it's, it's, the whole point is the vulgar display of power that Francis is obsessed with, the vulgar display of power of contradiction. I don't get any of that from what he did, allow Pelosi presumptively to receive and thereby desecrate the consecration. Now, what is it? It's the 59-year anniversary of, if Martin's right, the desecration of the Eucharist in a black mass inside church with a ritual rape of someone symbolically called Agnes. They probably got the girl, Agnes, because her name means lamb, so it's an inversion of Christ's uh, death and resurrection. He's the Lamb of God. They got a little innocent girl named Agnes. There's a woman who says she's Agnes, even though that might not be her name in real life. I can't remember. And they always desecrate the Eucharist. 59 years later to the day, six days after the anti-sacramental of abortion is seriously disrupted in America, not ended, but disrupted, its greatest proponent in the free world Nancy Pelosi, this accursed old 80-year-old hag, it, the main proponent of abortion in the free world, goes and desecrates the Eucharist on the 59th anniversary of the enthronement of Satan. So that's my, um, that's my spin here. And uh, Francis wanted to discuss the theological sense of the liturgy saying we owe the Second Vatican Council the rediscovery of a theological understanding of the liturgy and its importance in the life of the church. And here's my response, and you've heard this before. This I have said before. Sacrosanctum Concilium, the council document on the liturgy, aside from the fact that I disagree with the raison de tra, the reason for being, uh, I don't think we needed a new one, but I'm not, I ain't the, look, I ain't the bishop. I think that's bunk. But 
Thacker's Sanctum Concilium ain't that bad, which is why your Bishop Lefevre signed the document and a bunch of other, by and large, good guys as well, alongside the, by and large, maybe some, some issues with disobedience Lefevre, but by and large, good guys signed Sacrosanctum Concilium, and I'd say, eh, you probably wouldn't have done that. I don't think I would have signed it. I would have been like, no, sorry, I can't put my pen to ink, pen to, ink to parchment here because that's, I don't think we need it. But it's not horrible. It's not the Missal of Paul VI, which was written by Freemason Annabale Bonini. I, and I know you guys know all this stuff, so I'm, I'm trying not to be chewed meat here. I'm trying to, I try to stay to the what's relevant, what's true, what's not overly speculative, and, and also what's, what's novel. So the theological sense of the liturgy that we owe to the council is nothing but our opprobrium, assuming that Francis doesn't actually mean the council. He means Missal of Paul VI, which came five years after the council closed. See, I actually would do the respect of saying, well, it's not technically Sacrosanctum Concilium that's got anything wrong with it. A mass in conformity in a hermeneutic of continuity way, a faithful way, with Sacrosanctum Concilium could just be the TLM. <laughs> TLM passes basically almost all the parameters for what Sacrosanctum Concilium is. But they stretched it to be disrespectful. That banal accretion of disrespect that you call the Novus Ordo. I never said it's not valid, right? But so, I mean, I'm trying to distinguish. And that's not the most popular thing to do. I make distinctions within distinctions within distinctions. The theological sense of the liturgy, to quote from Francis's apostolic letter, that we owe to the Second Vatican Council, well, it's not pure opprobrium, according to me. I think what we owe the Second Vatican Council is we should have, we, the census fidelium, gotten a better missile, more in conformity with tradition, right? I think it's Paul VI and Annabale Bunini and all of the popes who have followed Bunini and Paul VI without furrowing their eyebrows and be like, but this missile of Paul VI is not respectful to the sense of Vatican II because Vatican II's document Sacrosanctum Concilium does not say to do all this wacky nonsense. So really, in a weird way, and I know trads, a lot of them get off the track at this point. They, like Francis, a lot of trads don't like distinguishing between Sacrosanctum Concilium and the, the Novus Ordo Missal. But we have to, because that's true. Francis isn't doing it. He's talking about them like they're one and the same. Trads too often talk about them like they're one and the same. I'm saying we have to distinguish here. I don't love Sacrosanctum Concilium. I just wish we could have the Mass, the TLM. But we can't gloss over it. So I find June 29th the calendar key to unlocking the meaning of what possibly could have been happening yesterday through subconscious or maybe conscious agency. I don't know. Anyway, you haven't heard it anywhere else. And it's something to consider. If I can go out on a high note, June 29th, the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, is a day you should consider 
possibly very, very consequential. If Malachi Martin, who's accused of being an exquisite liar and a beautiful liar, that's what, that's what even some of the kind of neocons in the church will say about him. I used to buy into that more. I think he's been vindicated enough over the last four or five years to at least take a position of cautious credibility, uh, credulousness, cautious credulous, cautious credulity. I'm not sure he's telling the truth, but if he is, June 29th is a very, very big bridge to cover the explanatory gap. How was everyone benighted? Everyone who was my parents' age or even a little younger that were alive during the council, how were they benighted with all this change? And only a few of them were given to fits of rage. I think I would have been, I just, I don't know what that would have been like. And, and why have otherwise good popes, I know a lot of you might have your issues with JP too, but I think his heart was good. Malachi Martin thinks his heart was good. And he ad- addresses the dilemma. He seems to be good, but he did a lot of bad. Malachi Martin says it's because of the availing time. It wasn't JP2's fault. He couldn't govern the church because there was this purpose of a black mass. Look, we now know that black masses are done regularly. Cardinal Bernadine, who's a major character in Windswept House, that is a fact. He did these black masses with, with all of the you know satanic stuff happening. Why? They're not doing it to be, they're not doing it for no reason. The availing time is a very plausible theory. So I think without being sure that this is what's going on, I think it's worthy of your attention. So is the book, Windswept House. And so is Father Elijah, which we have our first real meeting. We had a pre-meeting last week, but our first real meeting is tomorrow. If you want to join up, go to patreon.com, Timothy J. Gordon, Any level of patron is good enough, even the lowest level. Sign up for that and read the first four chapters for tomorrow. It's going to be a good time. We meet at uh, 8, what is it, 835 or something. Yeah, 835. Might be 840 because I'm finishing the last Windswept House group. That went long. Yeah, now, buy Ask Your Husband from us directly and you can get a signed copy. For 30 bucks, if you buy Ask Your Husband, you'll get an autographed copy from Miss Stephanie Gordon herself. Go to timothyjgordon.com. Go to what? Publications or something? Where is it? And um, you can get a copy for almost not more expensive than a non-signed copy, and we'll handle the post. Unless, we forgot to stipulate this, unless you're in another country. Now, we love having a foreign audience. I did not know how big of a following we had in Australia, New Zealand, and, Aust- and Canada. If you want a signed copy, we'll still work with you, but the postage is crazy. It's anywhere between 25 and 40 American dollars extra. So it would be cost us money to send the book. Um, so if you want that, then you have to say, you, you know, you're going to have to pay for the postage if you're outside of the country. But we handle the postage, uh, media mail, if you're inside the United States. Uh, if you are one of the people outside the country, by the way, who already purchased, then send us an email to timothyjgordon at timothyjgordon.com. We'll work something out. And I'll, you know, 
we can we can work with you. God bless you guys. Keep your keep your eyes on the skies here. Keep your eyes on the prize. A lot is happening this summer. What a weird and interesting time to be alive. I have some really really stellar guests lined up for either later this week or early next week. Um, but I don't want to say who they are yet. Should should be a very fascinating July given what's going on. And praise God, hit your knees. Let's let's end with a, a Hail Mary. Praise God, praise the Virgin, uh, uh, thank Virgin Mary, and continue to ask for intercession because the end, the overturn of Roe was such a, a, an amazing thing that these older cats said could never happen. This is a bit, you still ought to be celebrating. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. Our Lady, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, be with us on the way. What an interesting time to be alive. We're going to do more good before the end. Desvold. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.